I'm excited about tonight. Um, just, just before we jump in, how many of you have ever had a conversation uh, with a Jewish person about faith? Okay, okay, a few. All right, before we, we jump into this passage, and we're going to, our, our text tonight was going to be in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to turn to that to mark it in your Bibles, you can do that right now. But when I was a kid, my mom went to a Jewish bakery. And uh, she went, to, it was something having to do with something they were doing at church. And she was buying this bread, and, and the issue of Judaism came up. And this guy told my mom, he said, yes, I'm a Jew, obviously, you know, working at a Jewish bakery. And then he said, but actually, I'm a completed Jew. I'm a Jew who believes in Jesus. I'm I'm complete. And she said, um, and she's changed, but I think this is where sometimes our southern politeness can sometimes clash with being faithful to Christ. And I'm not beating up on my mom tonight, all right? She's told this before. But he, she said, oh, well, I, I, I thought you were Jewish and I, I didn't want to, you know, really bring up. And she started talking about Jesus because she didn't, she didn't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, some of us may know how to witness to Jewish people, but she said, I just didn't want to bring that up and it'd be awkward. And he said this, were you afraid of converting me? Ouch. Were you afraid of converting me? And looking at my own life, when I've been able to interact with people that come from a non-Christian background, sometimes I think that, number one, our American culture to where we want to be respectful of other cultures. And then the issue, especially if you're from the Deep South, you're supposed to be so polite and endearing and bend over backwards that we can take the cultural route that will keep us from actually telling them about Jesus. So kind of as we start off tonight, I want us to hopefully this will help us to break out of any mold that says we need to be polite over being merciful. And do we have to um, do we have to be rude to share the gospel? <laughs> no, that's one of the biggest the biggest issues out there. People think that we have to be abrasive and caustic and rude and pushy, but it's not that way at all. But Judaism, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to read up here on the board, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and this is a verse that most of us know, but we often overlook uh, in relation to Jews. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, or unto salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew, what? First, and also to the Greek, or the Gentile. So we know from the Bible that the Jews were the chosen nation of God and he gave his revelation through the Jewish people so that they could be missionaries to the world. Now let's go over to Romans chapter 9 and we'll read verses 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Now, he's, this is scripture. So number one, scripture is true, but for scripture to say this is true and it's not lying means it's very important, right? Okay, so he says, number three, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So we've got scripture, we've got Paul's word that this is truth, and then we have his conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is heavy duty theology here. Now verse two, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself, now check this out, were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, I want you to ask yourself, has there ever been a person or a group of people that you have been so burdened for, you wanted to see saved so badly, that you were actually thinking in your heart, possibly even praying, God, I am willing to go to hell if they can go to heaven. Literally, I love them enough that if it were somehow possible, I could trade places. Because that's what he says, if I myself, I, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. I mean, that. what thoughts come to your mind when here's the Apostle Paul, so it's scripture, then he's saying it's truthful, then he's saying my conscience saying that it's truthful, and then in the Holy Spirit, I'm serious. That's why he had to preface that, because if somebody came up and said that, man, I love these people so much I would go to hell for them. People are like, yeah, what else do you lie about? Like, number one, who thinks that? But secondly, who actually believes that? But it's true. That's how much he was burdened for the Jews. Now, quick New Testament background What were some of the things that the Jews tried to do to Paul and did to Paul that we probably would not appreciate as a gesture of friendship? They stoned him. They stoned him, right, at Lystra, left him for dead. I mean, it wasn't just like a halfway stoning, right, Tommy? Like, they were, he's dead, what do you think? He's dead. What about you? He's he's totally dead. Bob, he's dead. Y'all good? He's dead? All right, he's dead. And they left him. What, what, what are some other things that he had to endure from the Jews that may be not as outwardly brutal? Mm-hmm. Right? He'd been beaten. Remember in, I think it's 1 Corinthians where he talks about he's been shipwrecked, naked, cold, hungry, enduring heat, persecutions from non-believers, persecutions from within the church, from false believers, all of this stuff from the Jews. Now think also how much they slandered him. Think about the last time somebody that you knew said something false about you and how deep that goes. These were the very people that were trying to kill him, but yet he said he had so much love for them that he was willing to take their hell for them. That's the gospel. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. And here is Paul who was Saul, and when he was Saul, I know one preacher called him Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul. All right, so you can throw that out, a little tongue twister. Before he was Paul, this is the guy who was wanting to kill these Jewish believers, the first Christians. So, I mean, what a transformation that shows to be willing to say that and willing to do that. So here's, here's the question for us. Do we love people enough to be, I guess we could say, bothered in our hearts and to where our mind thinks about where they were going without Christ to the extent that we would be willing to put ourselves out there to share the gospel with them. And we know that the way that God has set it up, Jesus suffered once for sin, that we don't go to hell for someone else. 
we only get out of hell because of what Christ has done for us. But I don't know about you guys, but that that's heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. And it's not just like these are my Jewish buddies. These are the ones trying to kill him. So let's take a step back from this. And when we approach learning the various aspects of Judaism tonight, let's think about, number one, God gave the gospel first to them. And then before we do that, just, just look again once at verse 4. He said they were the adopted ones. The glory came through the Jews. I mean, think about all the cool history you have if you're an ethnic Jew. Like when you're reading the book of Judges, you're like, that's my great, great, bring it back granddads and grandmothers. All of this amazing history, that's the Jews. The giving of the law. Like that, that was given to the world, but it was given through the Jews. The worship and the promises, even the patriarchs. I mean, most of us in here tonight are probably primarily European ancestry. There's, there's some cool history there, but once you get back not too long, it's basically all of our ancestors running around in the woods with a loincloth, painted blue, worshiping demons and participating in human sacrifice. Not a whole lot redeemable about European culture if you go back before Christianity came. But for the Jews, when Christ, they already had an awesome, amazing history. Not, not, Not just a history of faith, but just a history period. Like it's old, ancient stuff. So that, that's what he's saying here, that to them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh. Notice this, Jesus came as a Jew. Think about how that would affect you if you're a Jew ethnically, but then when you receive Jesus Christ. You're a Jew of the flesh, but then to be made a Jew of the Spirit. So just, just keep that in mind. Uh, but here are uh, some facts. There's estimated 14 million people that practice Judaism throughout the world, about 4 million in the USA. And here's a, here's a few popular questions that are not necessarily theological or biblical, but this comes out. What about, what's the deal with Jews and money? Have y'all ever heard, and this is not a racist thing, this is just, this just comes out, this is just real. How many of you have ever heard, and sometimes it could be anything along like a a joke, or just a statement about Jews and money? Let me see your hand. Okay, most of us, most of us in here. Alright, there's, there's a big issue with that. Just a little history that I didn't know until about a year and a half ago, that uh, if you were a Jew living in Europe, in the Middle Ages, you were not considered a citizen like a Catholic, quote-unquote, Christian. In fact, in most cases, you could not own property, and you were pushed into trafficking in money, being a money changer, dealing with currencies, because the prevailing Roman Catholic viewpoint is that it was dirty business to deal with money at all. Banking, Loans, exchanging currency. So here's what happened. I, I had no idea that the Jews were pushed into that in the Middle Ages because they couldn't really hold a lot of other jobs in European society. And so what happens when you get pushed into a corner and you're trying to survive? You're a minority group. You're trying to say, well, when's the next time that the king's going to send his soldiers to do something to me and my people? You get very proficient at what you can only be allowed to do. But then the Europeans came back around and said, all you Jews are trying to take over everything with your money. 
And the Jews didn't say this, but we can look back in history and say, well, if we can't own property, if we can't serve in the army, if we can't do all of these things and be Spaniards or Germans or French supporters of the crown, and we can only deal in what you guys don't want to deal with, and that's dirty money, then how can we do anything else, you see? In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. In Spain in 1492, guess who got kicked out of the country? The Jews. And even more interesting, the patch that Hitler caused the Jews to wear, what required them to wear, that goes back to 15th century Spain as well, to where Jews were required to wear that, which goes back even further when the Muslims invaded Spain. I know this may be losing some of you are like, I hate history, but I think, I think this helps, okay? When, when the Muslims controlled about half of southern Spain, they caused the Jews to wear specific markings that identified them as Jews. So when, when the Nazis did this stuff, they weren't just creating it. They were going back to Muslim and European Catholic tradition of saying, those are the Jews and we are us. Okay? So, so when people ask those questions and write those comments about Jews, you may want to just drop that grenade into the discussion and say, did you know that in the Middle Ages, Jews were not allowed to be full-fledged citizens and they could only engage in the dirty business? Interesting. Uh, number two, could the Antichrist be Jewish? Well, the prophecy books have it all figured out, right? You know, sometimes you buy it right find a prophecy book, they got it all figured out. I mean, they know whether the Antichrist is going to have parted hair, spiked hair, cut down the middle, bald, shaved head. They got all that stuff figured out, but the Bible doesn't say for sure one way or the other. Um, So, number three, you ever wondered this? Why have the Jews been so persecuted? I had a student ask me that in a class. It was a secular philosophy class at a secular college had a student raise her hand and she said, you know, we're talking about all this stuff about philosophy and God. Why does it seem like everybody down through history is trying to kill the Jews? Any, anything come to mind? Quick draw apologetics. Boom. Boom. All right. Good. God's chosen people. And if there is a God, and the Bible is true, and they are God's chosen people, and the Bible is true about this being called Satan who wants to to destroy God's plan, then why wouldn't it make sense for God to try to destroy the very nation through which God has promised to send the only Savior? That's exactly the road I went down. Some of the students, you know, some of the atheists in there are like, I mean, because really, the fact that there are Jews today, y'all, it should weird us out. If you're not a believer. Because here's the thing. There are no Hittites. There are no Philistines. There are no, as we would call them, Assyrians. Unless that, that movie, that, or he was an Akkadian, the movie The Rock was in. You remember the title of that? I thought you remember. It was one of those dumb, cheesy Hollywood movies that you just watch if you need your brain to do nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, just do nothing. But uh, but we also don't have any modern uh, Babylonians, Assyrians. All of those ancient Middle Eastern people groups, they were either wiped out or they were integrated into other people groups. 
But I, I didn't put it in the in the, the presentation. But if you ever just just go Google Hebrew Bible and pull up Hebrew text, it looks nothing like modern languages because it's not. Do we realize that the fact that there are Jews today ought to cause the most even the strongest atheist to say, you know what? Maybe there's something to prophecy in the Bible. Because even when the modern state of Israel was formed, not but just a little bit over a half century ago, I read uh, or I heard a statistic in a presentation one time that the odds at that time were 40 to 1. Just just the surrounding Arab nations, just right there, not even counting the larger Arab world. I mean, unbelievable stuff. The fact that Jews are here today, to me, this is just me, is evidence for the existence of God and the truth of the Bible. It's just crazy that there are people that call themselves Jews, still speak Hebrew, still write it. It's like awesome. So, um, but any, anything else you want to add to that? Why Jews were so persecuted? For me, I think that's a good way to go to just say, suppose there is a God. And suppose you just walk through Scripture, because that will cause people to get Get the thinking. So here's the question. What is Judaism? Two statements. Uh, we'll go to the bottom one here. Judaism is a religion based on relationships. God's relationship with the human person. A person's relationship with God. People's individual relationships with each other. And the chosen people's relationships relationship with other nations. All these relationships are based on rules and traditions that are said to have originated with God. So Judaism in one word would be about what? Relationships. Alright. Uh, just a quick history here. Most of us are familiar with this. For a Jew, this is very meaningful. A practicing Jew, that is. Uh, Abraham, somewhere around 2100 BC, that we know Joseph in Egypt. Uh, Exodus, Charlton Heston, the crossing of the Red Sea, Technicolor, all that good stuff. Uh, they went and did they finish the conquest of Canaan? The Jews. They, I mean, it basically, it basically stopped with the death of Joshua and Caleb. Like the daddies or the granddaddies who brought them in, once grandpa died, the grandkids and the kids quit until several hundred years later when this little guy named David started up and he began to take names and do other things. So, uh, then we've got the period of the judges. That's where here. We're here on a Sunday morning. And then the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. And then we have the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah. When Solomon's son, uh, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, all them, they split it up. Failure of leadership. Then in 722 B.C., this, these dates matter. There was the fall of Samaria. So when it split, the ten northern tribes, their capital was Samaria. They almost formed their own religion. And did you know every single king of Israel, the ten northern tribes, every single king was evil. You're reading the Old Testament? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did evil. Every single one. Now notice, that kingdom was destroyed in 722. If you've ever heard the phrase, the lost tribes of Israel... People called them that because after 722, when the Assyrians destroyed it, we don't know where they went. And as best as we know, they just were so godless that they just were absorbed into the Assyrian Empire and lost their identity as Hebrews. That's sad. So when, when somebody says today, I'm a Jew, 
they're either from the tribe of Benjamin, Simeon, or Judah. Simeon is kind of incorporated into Judah as well. I just thought of something that you were saying that. So in Revelation where it talks about the 144,000, mm-hmm. 12,000 from every tribe. Yes. Well, and here's, here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Um, up until 70 AD, if you were a Jew, all of those records were available in Jerusalem. You know, it goes through the Old Testament, son of, son of, son of, and you, you knew who your daddy was, and not only that, you knew who your daddies were for way back, alright? But when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground, which was actually breaking even pagan codes of warfare. Even the Greeks and the Romans, they said, you don't touch temples. You just don't do it. That was a violation of ancient, international, it was their Geneva Convention, so to speak. That when that happened, understand that all of the Jewish records were lost. So that a Jew today, they're from that small remnant in the southern kingdom, and even that... All they know is that they're a Jew, but they don't have a record of which family, which clan, which group they were in within that tribe. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? So when we talk to Jews today, and that's a great point, Lee, what about the 144,000 that it's from those individual tribes? Well, I don't know, maybe maybe some of us could have Jewish blood and we don't know about it. Or I guess Israelite, we, 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 just, we, don't, we don't know, we just, we just don't know. Um, there's a lot of really weird theories, but a lot of times those are just a waste of time. But, uh, but yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, and there's there's a, a message we're going to come to in our Judges series about how even Levi, most of them were, were working with the northern tribes. They got to the point where they could even be bought off. But yes, they were still working in, in Judah as well. So, yeah. Yeah, good good point. Good Good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in... Because the Levites didn't have a specific area that God had given them because they were supposed to be supported by the people. So like we talk about the ten northern tribes that had those specific areas, Levi never had an area to where they they were just supposed to live within the groups that they were serving. So they didn't have like a set aside. The ten northern tribes were essentially already lost to history when John wrote Revelation. Yes. They didn't, there was a, there were Samaritans that, that they people looked down on, but I mean, the pretty much already lost. Correct. And that's a great point. The fall of Samaria, okay? So when the Assyrians came in, all of the people that were productive, they took them off to Assyria, and they brought other conquered pagan people and put them in northern Israel. Well, guess what happened? The result were pagan transplants and local people who were who were not skilled, people who were probably very slow, uh, the people that even the Assyrians didn't want, and the offspring 
were Samaritans. So you have the issue of them being half-breeds considered by Judah. And not only that, but it was the people that you probably didn't want to be your representatives anyway. So all of that resentment builds up. Because when we read about Samaritans, we're like, get over it. I mean, what's the deal? You know, I mean, just just give the guy a high five and move on. But there's this this history of, of absolute embarrassment. Um, now notice here that 587, 586 B.C., that's when Jerusalem fell. Realize that there wasn't that much difference in economic and military power, but you did have a few good kings that served God and were faithful to Him, and look at how much longer Judah was able to last. Do we realize that the concept of us being salt and light, I think, in many cases, helps society not be judged and God just give it over to total sin? That's the leadership of some of the kings in Judah, like Josiah, who were able to to hold it together. So, um, the exile, the end of the exile, the restoration of Judah, uh, the Persians allowed them to come back and uh, build some of the wall. 440 B.C., Malachi, the last biblical prophet. And then not long after that, about 100 years, Alexander the Great conquers the whole known world. And I heard a statement about Alexander that I think is very applicable to us today is that Alexander conquered the whole world, but was not able to conquer himself. Drank himself to death at the age of 30. And they said, to whom goes your kingdom? And Alexander's was answer was, to whoever can take it. Or to the strongest. Four generals, Daniel prophesies about that. Those four generals divided up Alexander's empire. And Alexander was spoke what language? Greek, And so what he did is he gave the world a common language. Our New Testament is written in Greek. Very cool, right? You needed it. And this is the one thing about the, the plan of God that's so cool is that God's sovereignty, that there would need to be a worldwide language so that the gospel could be understood by, well, the world at that time. So the matter... Another thing about that, Jim, um, created the, the language, you know, Scripture says Christ came in the right time. Mm. Then after that, the Romans conquer, and they're great road builders. Bingo. Bingo. Absolutely. And the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Excellent point. And to realize, I mean, most of us have been on hikes or been in the woods at some point. You know that if you really had to traverse that, and you're dealing with um, animals that are hungry, with robbers that are hungry. It's probably not a good thing, but the fact that Rome actually built roads, like actual roads, was revolutionary. It's like, you know, History Channel, ancient aliens, you know, all that stuff, like high technology. But yeah, you're right. So common language, ability to get around, but 166 uh, B.C. is the Maccabees revolted. And if you ever pick up a Roman Catholic Bible, there's going to be the books, I think it's First and Second Maccabees, if I remember right. And that's just Jewish history of their resistance to um, Antiochus Epiphanes. And these guys wanted all the Jewish scriptures burned. They sacrificed a pig in the temple. Some kind of like Alamo type of stories um, in there. And then we come to Herod the Great. So here's the thing. In 587, uh, what was destroyed in Jerusalem? The temple, right? Nebuchadnezzar. And this, who built that temple? Solomon. 
the number one achievement in terms of building, even technology of the Jewish nation. I mean, they followed God's specific directions built by none other than Solomon. And can you imagine like lamentations when you lament, when you cry? It's about the fall of Jerusalem. It's a book in the Bible and the brokenness. Can you imagine seeing that burn to the ground? All the stones pulled down. The Babylonians just slaughter everyone from the city and slave everyone. Well, several hundred years later, and this is why, this is one thing that, that sin, God's grace is there, but sin will always make a mark. Herod the Great, the very one who killed all of the two year olds, one's up to two, he was the one who rebuilt, quote unquote, Solomon's temple. It wasn't as glorious as the first one. But it's interesting that God's grace can still be there, but sin will always leave a mark and things will never be as they were. And then we know Jesus came, broke the BCAD. I like what Phil Robertson said, Duck Dynasty, right? Like when you write down 2011, 2012, 2013, you're saying 2013 years from what? Jesus. Smack down. 70 AD, uh, the Jewish revolt, which is actually... I think God's judgment there because of the people's rejection of Christ brought the Romans. The Romans came and destroyed Herod's temple again. And from that day, the Jewish nation has basically been scattered. The the diaspora, as it talks about in the book of James, the scattered ones. And so that brings us to Judaism and Christianity. A couple of differences. Jews are still Jews even if they're non-religious. Judaism is what they practice. That may be a good note to write down, but they're still Jews. Whereas there's a big misconception, especially in the Muslim world, that if you're a, an American, what do they think that your religion possibly is? Christian. And let's think just for a moment, if we're a Muslim, in the conservative, at least socially, Middle East, at least the way they project it, um, If America is Christian and I see American movies and see what's put out online by America and see American media, just American cable television commercials, not that not even dialing anything into anything that would be like hardcore pornography or something like that. What do you think the. Muslim mind concludes about Christianity if they make that ethnic white American equals religious Christian. What do you think? Degenerates? What's that? Not much Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two, and two, we have, and I think it's great. We have so much Christian programming. I, I do. I do. Some of it can be can be tweaked, but at least the name of Jesus is made known, and. You know, Paul says, even if some preach him out of spite, I'm still, you know, that's thumbs up. You know, I'm, I'm glad that Christ has preached. But if you're a conservative Muslim, you're not, you think there's not much to it. They're degenerates. But boy, if there are Christians from America that come to my Muslim country wanting to make Muslims into Christians, it's not so much that they may hate the name of Christ, but my goodness, what would you think if there were a group of people that you thought were absolutely and totally degenerate and they wanted to come to Franklin County? And what would your reaction be? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have the Bill of Rights there, then that opens up the door to you being able to do violence against them. We're not excusing in any way Muslim persecution of missionaries, not at all. But I think it's very helpful for us to see it from their standpoint. And um, But then again, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy uh, because Pakistan, it came out this, this past week, and we've got a mixed crowd, so be, be very uh, careful here. But some of the worst degenerate type of stuff that you could ever film. Um, what God's Word says is an abomination. Pakistan is the number one nation that says we hate homosexuals, but they're the number one nation as far as the ISP servers and whatnot that are downloading a very deviant type of pornography. So, and um, that's another discussion for another time. So, we know that with Jews, Judaism is what they practice, but... Ethnically, they're Jews, but we as Christians, we know this, it's a personal choice to follow Jesus Christ, and that's available to a person from any culture, any background. So here's, here's a few of the branches of Judaism. We're actually getting stuff done tonight. This is awesome. Um, there's the Hasidic Jews, and actually, if you want to learn about the Hasidic Jews, just talk to John Geronti. Um, John knows, he was raised in a Jewish neighborhood in New York, has a lot of amazing police stories about working with Hasidic Jews in New York City. But uh, the Hasidics say that God is not found in studying and obeying the law, or the Old Testament, but rather God is found inside the person and is manifested through singing and dancing. Much more of a open, less biblical, less textual type of Judaism. Then there's Reform Judaism. If you're taking notes, I would just write down um, American Democratic Party in terms of what they support, in terms of social causes, whether it's not for Israel, whether it is um, very liberal social agendas. And a lot of times this is what makes uh, the news. So Reform Judaism does not see traditional forms as authoritative. It's just not. Or dress, or views, or like we call in Christianity the Judeo-Christian ethic such as babies are made in the image of God. Jews and Christians can agree on that, right? We hold the Genesis is true. They hold the Genesis is true. We believe in the validity of Proverbs. They believe in the validity of Proverbs. But Reformed Jews, not necessarily. They initially opposed creating a separate Jewish homeland. And men and women actually sit together at worship. So you could just say Reformed Judaism would be more liberal, uh, more of the liberal Jews. So uh, you say a westernized or an Americanized Judaism. You notice in the picture they're not dressing like uh, most Jews would dress or what we would think of and support liberal causes. Then there's conservative Judaism, and uh, they maintain the basics of following the Jewish law while dressing to fit in Western culture. So once again, there, there may be the yarmulke uh, that the, the men would wear, the covering on their head, but as far as that, they don't have the traditional Jewish dress. So it would probably be good when you meet a Jew, I just say, you know, do you, do you practice? Because a lot of Jews don't practice Judaism at all. They just, they're totally secular. It's just who they are and who their family is. But it'd be good to say, you know, do you, are you a practicing Jew? Not assume that they are. And then if so, say, which, which kind do you practice? So here's, here's what I think a lot of us, when we think of Jews, we think of Orthodox Judaism. They follow the dietary law to the T, which means that when you go to Hardee's like I did for lunch, I don't know what happened. 
I had a longer lunch break. They gave us like an hour and a half, so some of the guys had stuff to do. So I just I started walking, and I was going to go get something at Honey Baked Ham, but then I ended up at Hardee's, and I ordered a hamburger, and it had cheese on it. That's good, huh, Lee? You know, and the cheese was melted into the meat, so it was like it was like a Buddhist, you know, thing. Everything was one. It was awesome, and uh, Ben has some has some great jokes about their de- deadpan, the groaners. But um, but but if if you were uh, an Orthodox Jew, you couldn't have meat and milk together. In fact, you would have to wait until the next meal to have that. And uh, there would also be no non-kosher foods, just a few for our southern context here. Uh, kosher foods that you couldn't have would be catfish. Everybody said, what was me? Not me. <laughs> what was me? All right. No fried catfish. Uh, no pork. So no bacon. No sausage. No shrimp or crabs. And for, uh, I guess, a land animal, it need to have... Anybody, anybody know the, what the Old Testament says for it to fit the bill? Kosher? Chew the cud. The, the cloven, cloven hoof. Yeah. And for anything in the water, anybody remember the rules for that? Okay. I was wondering, I was like, I thought I made this PowerPoint. I don't know how long going on this week, but you guys were like, really, Jeff? Really? You don't think we could read? Oh, my word. Yeah, okay. Must have fins and scales. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Wow. Uh, Sabbath keeping, which um, this would today include no phone calls on, on Sabbath, on the Sabbath. And it would also include... Um, for some who are more strict, being very limited in what you can do uh, in any regard on the Sabbath. And I'll just, just let that, any, anything, because you don't want to do any work. Um, the dress would be the uh, side curls of hair, according to Leviticus 19.27. Uh, a devout Orthodox Jew would pray three times a day. And uh, who's that? Young Jewish boy. Okay. There we go. Uh, four rites of passage for a Jew, especially for, for a young man, would be birth. Obviously, you have to be born to have any rites of passage. Uh, and then you have your bar mitzvah, which means uh, son of the law. And that's where they are ushered into, into manhood, full manhood. In the Jewish world, they don't have a thing that we have uh, called adolescence. I want us to think about this for just a second and how it relates to American culture. How would you describe the American concept of adolescence? What's that? You're supposed to be okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay, and if you're in limbo, what do you not have that adults have to have in order to pay the bingo? Yes, you're a teen. Now we're going to talk about the guys for just a moment. You have a guy who's 16, 17, maybe even 18 years old, 
no responsibility. You go back a couple of generations, what was great-granddaddy doing at 16? He was working a farm, probably lied on his paper to get into the army early so he could go kill Germans and Japanese, and that happened all the time. I mean, it's just, it's a total, and this goes, it's another discussion for another time, but John Dewey and his ideas of progressivism and liberal education, so we need, we need to make a, a buffer room for young boys to enter into manhood without having the pressures of manhood. But what we've created in America is this time to where grown men, guys that are, I mean, even in their 20s, can have all of the perks, whether that be sex, whether that be spending mom and dad's money, whether it's going to college on the government's dime, but they don't have any responsibility because they're teenagers and college students. The Jews, and even Christian history, doesn't recognize that. Because I think it's very helpful because most guys want to become men, right? No guy wants to be a little boy when he's 40. Nobody, nobody wants that. But yet we've made it easy for that to happen. But what the Jews do is right when you're finished being a boy, welcome to the man club. Like on Sunday, here's your man card, you know. Welcome to the team. And I think it's very formative for those young boys because they're able to be taught to be a man by men. Any comments there? I know we could talk all night about the implications of that, but anything come to mind in terms of American society? And well, what was that age? Do you uh, it's 12. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's 12. Yeah, we created a period of time that just reeks of promiscuity and, I mean, you know, no responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of when people were, were married, the, the ages they were married at, not too many generations ago. Yes. Why? Because they were they were physically mature and ready, and respond. They were taught to be responsible at that age. Mm. They could handle it. Yeah. Now we've created a time where it's very difficult for people to remain pure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So just 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 something to think about in regards to student ministry, how we teach the young men and the young women, like with the girls. Student ministry, as long as I've been involved, they know the two J's when a guy wants to pursue you or whatever. You know, the two J's, Jesus, right? Because this this is biblical. And what's the other one? A job. Because here's the thing. We're not trying to create some special Baptist rule that a guy has to fit. We want to be biblical. You need to be saved. You need to be going up. And you need to be able to provide for your wife. And that's very simple, but that's very profound. That's very biblical. So that's what we try to emphasize. But then marriage um, and, and obviously death, um, that's a Jewish practice as well. Try to get through this, and then we're probably going to have to call it a night. Uh, the Sabbath is Friday evening, or we could say Friday night through, through Saturday. Uh, Jewish practices, this would be a, a festival here, Rosh Hashanah, it's the Jewish New Year that falls somewhere within September or October, depending on the Jewish calendar. And then Yom Kippur, remember the Yom Kippur War? Was that the one in 73 or in the 60s? I, I, think it was, I think it was 73 to where I believe it was Egypt who attacked Israel on Yom Kippur. The, the day of atonement in the Old Testament when they would bring the bull in, I mean, it was the day. It was the July 4th. The come to Jesus meeting, I mean, the Christmas, the Easter, everything wrapped up into one. And so everybody was in a spirit of worship. Egypt tried to play dirty and Israel responded and wiped out most of the Egyptian air force. 
on the ground took the Golan Heights, which Hillary Clinton wants the nation of Israel to give up. I hope they don't, because then you're sitting ducks. But once again, another discussion for another time. Uh, the Passover, we know that that's deliverance from Egypt and what God did there. And uh, we'll just go through these quickly. When you're talking to a Jew, here's some things to remember. Don't assume that they believe in the authority of the Old Testament. I met a liberal Italian Jew uh, who made fun of the fact that I was from Texas and I had an old iPod several years ago in the Atlanta airport on the way to Brazil. And uh, he, he, he was an ethnic Jew, but he didn't practice at all. You know, Moses is a good guy. There's some things that you can learn, but it's not exactly historically true. So don't assume that a Jew actually holds to the truth or even the historicity of the Old Testament. Uh, number two, they may take your witnessing attempt as saying that Jewish culture is inferior. We want to make sure that it's not about culture, it's about whom? It's about, it's about Jesus. And number three, remember Jewish persecution by Christians, quote-unquote, otherwise known as crusaders, otherwise known as barbarians, that, kill, that murdered Muslims and Jews was not a good thing. It was not of God. And when I was talking to that Jewish guy, he said, do you have a card? And I pulled out my wallet. And some of you know where this is going. I don't know if I have any more cards. Can you see this? Okay, this was a design that a friend did. It's kind of like a Richard the Lionheart symbol and a sword and a shield. And I pulled it out and my eyes got as big as truck tires. I said, this is not about the Crusades. And he looks at it. He looks at me and he's, he's kind of like, really? I'm like, it's, because if you're a Jew... Part of your history in relation to Christianity is that you were, number one, persecuted, pushed to the fringes of society, but then you are massacred on a large scale during the Crusades by people with a what on their chest and their shields. Big red Jesus cross. And um, this is David Berlinski. He's a great intelligent design theorist, and this is what we'll call it a night. He's a, he's a Jew, and I heard him give a lecture in Fort Worth several years ago. And he was taking questions, and somebody raised their hand. I'm so glad the guy asked this. He just asked this. Why don't you become a Christian? Because Berlinski was taking down Darwinism. It was awesome. And he answered, because my father would kill me, and he's been dead for a number of years. In other words, for a Jew to leave Judaism and become a Christian is to divorce from everything that you know. And if you come from a very Orthodox Jewish background, they will actually have a funeral for you. So that to them, you're dead. So that's something to consider when we talk to Jews about Jesus. And it's something that we should extend our arms and love as the church and say, we're your family. Because so many people in the first century, most of them, the earliest Christians, were Jews. So this type of stuff happened to them. But we know that that would increase what the Bible has to say about the power um, of the church and the family of God. So, y'all have any, any statements, questions? It could come from any of them. I mean, yeah. There's, I, I didn't put it in the, the presentation. I don't remember the numbers, but there there are a lot more that are in some groups than, than others, but I don't remember, remember that. Good question. Jeff, many years ago, probably 25 years ago, there was a lady here by the name of Gladys Dudley. 
from the Rebellion We had a uh, Jewish rabbi from Marshall who was up here one Sunday night. He spoke hmm. in the church, and afterward, people were coming down and chatting with him. And I think Gladys was basically trying to witness to him. Hmm. And she was talking about being a Christian. And I was standing pretty close by, and I don't know if he looked at her. Well, we do know one thing, that all of the different, Sue, this may help, all of the different branches of Judaism have one thing in common, is they say, we deny that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. So Judaism is unique in the fact that it is a negative religion. The fact that what do you believe? Here's what, I'll tell you what we believe. Here's what we don't believe. It's very unique, very defensive. So let's pray tonight that God would use us to reach Jewish people even here.